Good morning, everybody. Am I coming through all right? Yeah? Cool. So it's my pleasure and honor this morning to <coughs> bring the second package in the three-week verse, sorry, three-week series, which is called Verses That Changed My Life. So last week we had Joe. If you miss that, go back and have a watch because it was really good. And next week we'll have Janelle. I don't know if she's here today. Is she here? Okay, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that too. So, yeah, we didn't really have a Bible reading this morning. Don't panic. I'm going to be reading heaps of Bible um, because I just couldn't pick. (laughs) So I just have lots. If you can't do it well, just do lots. (laughs) So, yeah, I've kind of picked two main verses to focus on which are the verses that changed my life, as per se. Of course, there's many verses that um, I could have picked for this, so the ones that I picked are not summing up my entire existence, but they'll give you a little piece of the puzzle to see what kind of shaped my walk with God. So firstly, a little bit about me before we have the verses, just to give you some context of like how I view the world and the view the verses in a way. So I've grown up in a Christian family my whole life. I think I was literally born in the church building. But that's, that's not true. <laughs> I was born in the Wesley Hospital, but that's not really an important. Um, and so I've been nurtured by a loving family, taught the ways of Jesus, taught um, the whole Bible, etc. Um, and I've been supported by the church and have lots of friends in the church, and it's been really awesome. Um, I went to a Christian primary school and had a mixture of Christian and non-Christian friends there, and then also attended a Christian high school. Um, Again, a mixture of Christian and non-Christian friends. And so I guess in a way you have both things supporting your faith there, but also things questioning your faith, because there's always doubt in places like that. Um, yeah, and then since graduating high school, I've spent the past three years studying physics at the University of Queensland, um, and then as of this year, I started doing a dual degree with education. So basically, I'm on my way to be a science teacher by the end of two years' time. Um, yeah, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of the context of where I see these verses. So the first verse, don't put it up yet. Actually, I have to click it, don't I? I've got the power. (laughs) Let me just get out my lightsaber. Cool. So the first verse is a Proverbs verse, because I couldn't go past Proverbs. It's just full of wisdom. Um, And the verse that I'm picking is from the first 29 chapters of Proverbs. I'm not picking the whole first 29 chapters, just a little bit. And they were, we believe they were written by Solomon, who was the son of David, who was the king of Israel. So these were written about 3,000 years, roughly-ish, ago. So, but we still draw wisdom from them because the wisdom in them is eternal because it's about God. So the purpose of these Proverbs is given in the first chapter of Proverbs. It says it's for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. Um, and for th- furthermore, it tells us that God and wisdom are tightly interconnected. You can't have one without the other. Um, And so it even says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if you don't fear God, you you really got nothing. 
Um, okay, cool. So we'll pop up. I'll see if I can do it. Maybe. There we go. Cool. So the first verse is from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 12. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father, the son he delights in. So that's the first passage. Um, The second passage comes from Isaiah, because again, I love Isaiah. Um, and this was written by the prophet Isaiah, and it encourages the people in the kingdom of Judah to commit to following God's ways, and also encourages them to look to God to fulfill his promises of restoration. So Isaiah also prophesies about the coming servant who will sacrifice himself for the people in order that they might be healed and that the punishment for their sins dealt with. $1,000 $1,000 for anyone who can tell me who that servant might be. Show of hands, anyone? Hey, Jesus, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And this was prophesied way before Jesus, so it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so the passage I'm going to be focusing on is Isaiah 40, verses 25 to 31. And it reminds God's people that God's will, that God will comfort them. So I'll pop up that one for you says, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Cool. So if that sounds familiar, it's because we've already sung it. So spoilers alert. Um, So yeah, so from these two main passages, there's three themes, three images that stand out to me. Um, And those three images or themes are God as a rock which is a strong, trustworthy foundation. The second one is God as a loving and active father. And the third one is God is strength and power. So having a look at the first one, there we go. God is the rock. So what does that mean? Because a rock is like a physical thing, like God's probably not like a little rock on the ground. But if we have a look in... 
There we go. If we have a look in Matthew, Jesus talks about this. So Jesus uses this metaphor as a rock for God. So I'll just read it out to you. This is Jesus talking. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So what Jesus is saying here, whoopsies, there we go. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying that God is a firm foundation and that if you build your life on a firm foundation, the firmness of the foundation secures your house, which in this case is your life. It's like God is a rock, the house is your life. So if you build your house on what God says and His truth and His love, then when the storms of life come, like COVID-19 or lots of other things, that we actually have a firm foundation. Because like we were saying before, God is the everlasting God. And so He has been around and He has seen all the storms and He is stronger than all of them. So if we attach ourselves to Him as the rock, then we will be firm as well. So in terms of my sort of story, so for me this kind of comes into play as um, God is a rock that is like a steady faith. So for me, living and studying in a situation where I'm at a secular university in a secular science, and often it can be quite challenging to have faith in that place. So my field is dominated by atheistic views, so people don't really believe in God. Um, and very few acknowledge the importance, the existence even, or the sovereignty of God. In fact, to illustrate this point, just the other day, even as I was writing this, I saw an a article written by a university lecturer for science, religion, and skepticism. Um, and the article was titled, According to Science, God Does Not Exist. So for me, as a scientist who believes in God, it's kind of like, that's a direct attack, kind of. So this, this type of statement is actually really common within universities, specifically within the science. There's this notion that if you have science, you reject God because it doesn't make sense. Um, and the writer in this article he even claimed that no believer has been able to demonstrate or even strongly suggest that there are any events in the universe that require a supernatural being to explain. So saying there's no events ever, anywhere, that ever needs God to explain it. And for a really well-educated um, scientist to be saying these things, and that's the type of people who are teaching me at university, that's quite discouraging. Um, so firstly, it's very discouraging when it feels like it attacks your faith head-on. And to me, that's like, 
if you had a faith that was not on a firm foundation, like the sand, then those attacks come, doubt comes in, and if the foundation isn't secure, your whole faith crashes. But if God is a rock, then he's the firm foundation, and that doubt can be overcome. So, because of the truth of it, on my second thought, I thought, this statement in the article, it's actually totally and utterly false. A quick reflection of the countless miracles of healing that happen in real time, in the name of Jesus, totally dissembles any doubt in my mind. And I'm sure many of you are witness to those types of things. In fact, as I was reflecting on this article, I thought, what the heck, I'll do a quick YouTube search. Because I'd seen the previous week, there's a YouTube channel, you guys might know a guy called Todd White. He's an evangelist, he goes around. So he, he was going around praying for people. And within seconds, I was just looking on YouTube, it's just a recording, um, he's just praying for people in the middle of Times Square, in Jesus' name, be healed. And these people are having miraculous healings in the name of Jesus. And this guy in the article is saying, no one has ever seen anything that needs God to explain. No one's seen anything supernatural. And I'm like, clearly that doesn't hold up. So for me, this highlights the importance of trust, trusting God rather than leaning on my own understanding. Because I feel like sometimes the pride of humans likes to think that the universe is able to be perfectly understood if you just do enough science, which in my field is kind of the, kind of the consensus. And it's simply not the case when you have a God as creative and as awesome as ours. And um, I believe it's in Psalms, I forgot to write down the, the reference, but God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So we have this like tension between human wisdom saying, I can understand it all, and the wisdom of God saying, no, I made that, and I'm outside of that. So, yeah, for me, that's kind of the, the angle that I take with leaning not on my own understanding, as much of my, facili- uh, much of my cohort would sort of gravitate towards. So that's God as the rock. The second image is God as an active, loving father. So it's actually incredible that we are blessed to have an active and loving father, one who both delights in us and also disciplines us. So you'll see why that's good in a bit. (laughs) So God could have created us just for fun, to show his power, and then forgotten us and said, you know what, I don't care anymore, I don't need you, and just left us to figure things out and survive on our own. But the Bible narrative tells us that that is not true. It's full of instances of God intervening in our human messes to both bless and discipline his people. So an example of this is Moses. So as many of you know, Moses had the privilege of walking with God and talking directly with God. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments to give to the Israelites. And um, it even said that after Moses had spent time with God, his face would just glow. He had to put a veil over it because it's too bright. So we have this man with great privilege with God. And God delighted in Moses so much that he said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses requests to see, he, he requests 
to see God's glory. And God showed Moses just enough of his glory so that Moses wouldn't die. Um, And in addition to the favor that Moses found in God, Moses was also instructed by God. So if God has favor on you, he'll instruct you. So he instructed him in the way to lead the Israelites. However, because God had favor with Moses, and because he instructed him, he also disciplined him. So in fact, God would allow Moses to lead the people. Sorry, let me try that again. In fact, God did not allow Moses to lead the people into the promised land that they hoped to get into for so long, because Moses directly disobeyed God when bringing water out of a rock for the Israelites to drink. He did it in a way that God told him otherwise. God said, speak to the rock, let the water come out. And Moses thought, no, I'm going to hit it with a stick instead, because that'll look more impressive. And he says to the people, he's, he says, do you need us? He says, like me and Aaron, do you need us to get water for you out of the rock? And so he does it in a way that is not honoring God. It's not how some of the most common for me would be in dreams. That's a long story. But also during conversations with God, just telling him about what's going on and just downloading my thoughts and feelings. And he'll pop in strategic thoughts here and there, like, Josh, what about this? Or Josh, maybe that's not the right way to do it. And again, it's like a quiet whisper, but it's God slowly instructing me in the way. So another way that God instructs and disciplines is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, is what we call it sometimes. And it's where God directly disciplines your heart. Often this looks like the Holy Spirit taking away your peace and forcing you to act. So for example, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, all of the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And some were amazed at this. Some were perplexed. Some just made fun of them and said, look, they're drunk. Um, But Peter gets up and he addresses the crowd and he says, these guys aren't drunk. This is the outpouring of God's Spirit that was promised in Joel. In In the book of Joel, you look in there and it says that God will pour out His Spirit on all people. And recorded in Acts 2, verses 36 to 41, that's the one, the Jews were also convicted in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it says, Therefore, let, so this is Peter speaking, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So here we see the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, convicts the hearts of the men there, and says, look, you've rejected the Messiah You've rejected God's rescue plan. You need to repent and you need to turn from your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in my experience, 
the Holy Spirit works deeper and more immediately than anything else in your heart. I'll see if I can try and paint this picture for you. It's as if you've got a guitar in your heart. It probably wouldn't fit in me, but maybe someone big, like maybe a ukulele (laughs) in your heart that only God knows how to play right. And it's as if he has direct access to those strings in your spirit. And Hebrews 4.12 illustrates this another way. It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'll say that again. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So instead of looking at it as a guitar that God can play, he's looking at it as a sword that God can pierce your heart sharper than anything else can. And so in this way, we see that God is not way out there and ignoring us, but God is in fact delighting in us. Because he delights in us, he instructs us. Because he instructs us, he disciplines us. Um, And it's actually a delight because he's our loving father. And as it says in the Proverbs, that God disciplines us as a father disciplines the son he delights in. So that's the second image. God is an active father. So the third image. This is God is strength. So this is the one that's highlighted in the Isaiah passage particularly. And we know that God has ultimate power over the universe and is the source of all strength because it says that nothing was created that wasn't created by him. We know that if he has the power to create the universe, he has total power over it. So in the example of David, we see a young man taking on a Philistine giant who's Goliath, and he takes God as his strength. So here we see the strength that's ultimate in the universe is coming, and it's caring about people. So it's caring about David here. So God gives David not only courage to face off against Goliath and say, look here, you're defying our God, and that's not on. But he actually, God actually gives David the physical strength to take a small pebble and defeat this giant. Um, and so we have God as a strength within our hearts, but also God as a strength in the physical reality. Um, I found in my own life that the busyness and the pressures of university assignments and exams have often been a source of stress for me, as many people have experienced. Um, And when combined with the sense of being overwhelmed, this stress can turn to anxiety and a sense of impending failure. Again, a common problem. Um, And in these times, my prayer is always, God, give me the hope for tomorrow Give me the strength for today. And I'm comforted by the knowledge that God will see me through, that God will give me the ability to continue when I feel overwhelmed. And this is reflected in Philippians 4.13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we see that in our daily walks, 
God is our strength and that he's always with us. And furthermore, Jesus told his disciples that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, actually, I think I might have one of these up here. Yes, 1 Corinthians 12 says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the the interpretation of tongues. So again, that's a loaded verse and we don't have time to cover it all. But the point that I want to make is that the Holy Spirit is giving us power to do these things. That it's the Holy Spirit's strength, that power that Jesus was talking about to come. So we see that God doesn't just give us strength in the natural. He doesn't just give us strength in our heart to have the courage to do things. But he also gives us strength in the physical and in the supernatural. So strength that, we strength that we wouldn't normally have. Being able to heal someone is not normal. That's an act of God. And so through the Holy Spirit, we have that strength that he's blessed us with. So we see these three themes coming out of my favorite verses. We see that God is a rock. He's a firm foundation that you can set your life upon. And that we don't need to trust in our own understanding, but to trust in Him because He is the firm foundation. And because He is the firm foundation, the doubts of life and the storms of life, although they might rock us, I'll use a different word because I already said rock, although they might push us around and have storms and, and bend us, because we're on that rock, we're on that firm foundation, then God makes us secure. The second one, was God is an active father. Because God delights in us, he's made us, he loves us, <clears throat> then he also instructs us, as we've seen in many different ways. And because he instructs us, he disciplines us. And so, I guess two things for you to do. Firstly, listen for his instruction by reading the word, listening to the Holy Spirit. And secondly, don't despise his discipline. If God's trying to tell you something, listen. Because <laughs> I've been in situations where it takes me a while to listen, and it's just better if you listen first up. <laughs> and thirdly, God is our strength. God's not only the source of all strength because he's made us, but he also gives us strength in our hearts to face up to life. He also gives us the physical strength to defeat our giants, and he gives us the supernatural strength through the Holy Spirit to complete his will. So that's some of the verses that have changed my life. And I hope that you guys have been encouraged by this. I hope that you've got something out of this. And I hope that God's speaking to your hearts today. So I'll pray for us all. And then we'll head back to some singing. Father, we just thank you that you have an active place in our lives. We just thank you that you have not left us here on our own that you have not despised us even though <clears throat> we are in our messes, in our sins, and we fall short, Lord. 
We just thank you that as we remember in communion, Lord, that you've made a way, that you've taken out every obstacle for us to come to you, Lord, that you've removed the punishment for our sins, that you've taken it upon yourself, Lord. We just thank you that you delight in us, that you instruct us, and that you discipline us, Lord. Help us to be listening to when you speak, Lord, because you do speak. And help us to be humble and to have hearts that are receptive to your instruction. We just thank you, Father, that you are a loving Father, Lord. And I just ask that, um, yeah, you would make that reality, that truth, you would make that evident in every heart here today. That you would take that knowledge from our heads and you would put it in our hearts. That we, that we would know that we are loved by our Father, Lord. And Father, we thank you that you give us strength in our battles, that you <clears throat> walk with us in our daily existence. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you put in our hearts to give us power to do your will, Lord. We just thank you for that privilege and we just surrender to you that we might do your will. Yes, Father, we just praise you. We just thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name.